Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the life and memory of Nick Bockwinkle. You might want to think you're going to present yourself with a Christmas present this evening and become the next heavyweight champion of the world. But I'll tell you what, Mad Dog Vashon, and I'll tell you what, Crusher, if we've got a dirty trick that we can pull to stop the two of you, if we've got anything up our sleeve, any form of skullduggery or vicious nastiness that can be conjured up, we're going to do it. We're going to use it because we have no intention of ruining this Christmas. I'm ready to go in there and do whatever I have got to do, Mad Dog, anything. Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned as always for a very special offer just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling courtesy of our good friends at Meowbox and at Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, a former 100,000 time WCE heavyweight champion, Mr. Primetime, John Paz and John. On the show today, we have a guy who's known by many names, but strictly on our show, he will be known as Lance Archer. And that's right, he's been Lance Hoyt, he's been Vance Archer. But if you know anything about this guy, you know that he's made quite a name for himself in Japan over the last couple of years and ever since his exit from WWE, where he was kind of just a cast off to the ECW brand and really not given the proper push, not given the proper light to really stand out. And we get all into that with Lance Archer and we get all into his run in New Japan Pro Wrestling in the career he has really, really made for himself since leaving the States as a full-time competitor. Um, but, John, what's your overall impressions of Lance Archer? This was a great talk and actually kind of similar to a past episode we just had uh, broadcast with Brian Fury. This is one that we had some issues with, and it took a little bit to get out, which is all right. You know, we've uh, apologized for the delay, but it's out now. And uh, 
What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Lance Archer and what he is doing over in Japan and actually, you know, what he's really done in terms of the growth of his career? Yes, Chatty Boy, back at it again here at the two-man power trip. And like you said, another great one. This time, Lance Archer, a.k.a. Lance Hoyt. And you know the first thing that comes to mind when I think about him? And it's funny because, uh, you know, I ran into him recently. And uh, he was saying about, you know, his run with TNA and his run with WWE. And that's kind of what a lot of people remember him for. And I kind of disagreed with him. And um, I didn't think, you know, that was the case. I think when you think Lance Archer, I think you think the American Psycho. And I think you think about the Killer Elite Squad, one of the greatest tag teams in the business today. And that's saying a lot, considering that the tag team division all around the globe has becoming much improved, and it's been much more of a focus, I'd say, maybe in, in a ring of honor, which the Killer Elite Squad has been showing up to lately, which has been great for their, uh, you know, a couple appearances for them and a couple great matches against War Machine. So, I mean, pretty cool with the focus on tag teams, but when you think about great tag teams around the world, you got to think about the Killer Elite Squad, and that's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of him, to be honest. And... You know, obviously his partner is Davey Boy Smith Jr., who we do go into, a.k.a. Harry Smith, who we do go into great detail about. <clears throat> and I love his, you know, his, you know, basically what Lance thinks of, of Davey Boy Jr., thinking this guy's got huge potential. He's got IWGP champion written all over him. So I just love that about it. But, you know, even more so, I just think that their tag team has so much potential. Yes, they were the NWA tag team champions, also the GHC champions. Obviously, they were the IWGP champions. In the past, but I just think that more so in the states, they could definitely make a big impact. Maybe in Ring of Honor again, or <clears throat> who knows, maybe TNA, or you know, you know, somewhere along the lines. I just think that they definitely could make a big impact here in the states because they made a huge impact over there in Japan. And obviously, when you think of Killer Elite Squad, and you think of Lance Archer, and you think of uh, David Boy Jr., and what a great team they are, you got to think of the faction that they're, uh, you know that they belong to and that's Suzuki Gun over there in New Japan Pro Wrestling and right now they're in the Pro Wrestling Noah which is partially owned by New Japan right now but that's a different story for a different day but he goes into some great stories about Minoru Suzuki the leader of the faction one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and if you know for some people out there that may not know one of the greatest MMA fighters of all, of all time and started Pan Craze over there in Japan and kind of started this big craze if you will, of MMA. So, I mean, he's a legend not only in professional wrestling, but in the MMA world as well. And Lance tells some great stories about it when he first went over to Japan and kind of worked with Suzuki, and Suzuki no-sold him and basically made him earn his respect, and that made him, uh, you know, like Suzuki even more, and that really, you know, earned the respect over there of the Japanese fans as well. So it's great to see that he's doing great and flourishing in Japan right now. But uh, I'd also like to see him uh, make a bigger name for himself in the States because uh, he certainly has a lot to offer. But uh, I don't think he'd pass up working in Japan right now because I know he's doing quite well. Yeah, he's definitely carved out quite a niche for himself as the American Psycho. And the questions always are there. What about Lance Hoyt? What about Vance Archer? What are some of the other questions you felt like really stand out in a great conversation with Lance Archer? 
Yeah, another thing that we talked to him about, of course, you know, we did get into great details about his TNA run and kind of how they missed the ball and kind of how he didn't like that run so much. And, you know, we do go into that. We do go over the story of, of him being so over with some of those crowds and the joke of some of the Internet marks was, uh, what, is he paying these people? Was he taking them out to dinner? No, he was just over. I mean, that, that being over, he was over. And that crowd loved him and Hoyamania and everything else. And TNA probably should have exploited that, but they never did. And it seems like he's just another guy on the on the kind of long list of guys that we've had on the show matt morgan hernandez immediately come to mind as infinite potential you know could be a great talent but tna just managed to screw it up and it just seemed like that was a lot of the case with uh, a lot of the guys but besides the tna run and you know he obviously he was great with kid cash when they were tag team they had tag team champions but it didn't last long enough really it could have had a longer run but of course he did make a brief run on WB as Vance Archer, and, uh, you know, he worked down there in Florida in FCW, and he worked with a lot of the NXT kids, as he liked to, you know, refer to them as. And he was saying that, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that he worked with down there are like the big names now, and we go into great detail about Bray Wyatt and Seth Ryan, uh, Rollins, excuse me, and Roman Reigns. So just good stuff there all around, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Not only, you know, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, the Japanese stuff, which I absolutely love, but I loved getting into the TNA stuff, and I loved getting into the WWE stuff and everything that he had going on there. So really, really great stuff from Lance. And, you know, like I said before, and I'll say it again, I just love the Killer Elite Squad. I love what they're doing now. And it's just one of those tag teams that are out there right now that are just so hot on the scene that uh, don't miss them if you, you know, if you can see them in action because... Uh, they're just just an unbelievable team. Definitely a unique team. But let's talk about two unique teams in their own right. And that's first, the two-man power trip of wrestling teaming with TopRowPress.com. We have now joined the TopRowPress.com radio network. And there's going to be some very interesting best ofs and also some possible exclusives down the road with TopRowPress.com and their radio network. So we urge you to head on over to there, and John's going to give you a little bit more information about that in the two-man power trip of wrestling business and talk about another unique team, and that is the two-man power trip of wrestling in Meowbox. And when you head on over to Meowbox.com and you throw the code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box at Meowbox.com, you're going to receive 10% off your very first box subscription. Again, it's POWERTRIP10 in all caps capitals in the checkout box of meowbox.com for 10% off your first monthly box subscription. Head on over to there, head on over to the meowbox, head on over to meowbox.com, get it done, check them out. John, take them the rest of the way, hit them with the two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them a little bit more about meowbox. Yes, meowbox, baby. They are the best. They have a a little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Row Press family. That's right, Top Row 
excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them, and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there, and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TNPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan Lariat Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back, and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and why you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts. And you too can be a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, we send it along to another fantastic episode a current GHC Tag Team Champion, a former two-time NWA Tag Team Champion, a former two-time NWA TNA Tag Team Champion, and of course a former two-time IWGP Tag Team Champion. He is none other than the American psycho himself, Lance Archer. Please enjoy. Uh, heading back for a month. When was the last time you were uh, you were back? Uh, uh, we went in the middle of the month. Uh, it was the fifteenth of March, and uh, did one show for. We did a big show at Ariaka Coliseum. Uh, <clears throat> it was us against TMDK again. They were trying to get their titles back, which they did not. Now. Before I get into Japan, which I'm sure will be a little bit lengthy because, you know, we got a lot of questions that that's okay. hot streak that you're on. But I just wanted to touch <laughs> on uh, this past weekend. You made your debut in Ring of Honor, which is just great. And you guys yep. faced four machines. Yep. We thought on uh, working with those guys. You know, I, it was really, really awesome to say the least. You know, I, I'd like to say that I've, I've worked really hard and, and my – time in the wrestling business, you know, good days, bad days, ups and downs. Uh, I've had opportunities in some major cool places. I've obviously now, now basically worked for every major company in the business. 
Um, you know, so it, it was really cool getting to debut and work there and be extremely well received there us as a team and you know being able once again I hope prove myself to the wrestling world that you know maybe what they saw in the past wasn't or isn't who I am now and working with War Machine was just awesome man because our styles were just on point with each other and I, I think we brought a new level of brutality to Ring of Honor they hadn't seen in a while. You think about going back maybe since the match was a no contest if you guys think you need a rematch? Hey man, we 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 told them anytime, anywhere, wherever they want to go at it, we got it. War, war can happen anywhere in this world. Now, what was your thoughts on finally working for Ring of Honor? Was that a place you always wanted to work for? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think it's one of those things that there's been a lot of amazing talent that has come out of Ring uh, Ring of Honor, and I think even in the most recent years, some of the guys that are being successful in WWE right now really cut their teeth in Ring of Honor. And I think the respect level that the guys get that are working in Ring of Honor, because it's known as a wrestler's company, a wrestling company, uh, to be able to go in there and, and wrestle and work. And like I said, be well-received. And, uh, you know, I'd like to believe did a really good job. And, and, and hopefully we'll be back. Like I said, it was a very open-ended finish and a very open-ended, you know, challenge between the two teams and whatnot. So uh, to be able to go in there and to be – well-received and respected and to, to earn my place yet again in a new place like Ring of Honor, I think, yeah, absolutely for me, it was an honor. You guys are the current GHC and NWA Tag Team Champions, so I have right. to ask you about your partner. One of the best partners you could probably have is Davey Boy Smith Jr. What's it like working with him? He's awesome, man. He's a, he's a nutbag, but he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Is he maybe, I mean, I don't know if I want to sway in one way or another, is he maybe your favorite tag partner that you've ever had? Uh, yeah, absolutely, just for the simple fact that he's an amazing talent. Um, our, our styles are very different but still mesh very well together. Um, the success that he and I have had together, especially since it was just kind of a team that was put together randomly back in uh, 2012, I think that was when we debuted, Um he, you know, we've just done a really good job of wanting the team to get over, and in that sense, we've also been able to get ourselves over, and we just always look to have the team do the best it can every time that we step out there. You know, it's never been, oh, I'm just going to go out there for myself on either side. You know, he's always been, like, wanting to work with me, and we're wanting to work together, and we're trying to find ways to make KES seen, known, understood, and respected throughout the wrestling world. And, I think that's what's helped both of us. And so being able to work with him and, you know, he's got such an amazing upside. He's 28, 29 years old. He's what, six foot five, 265 pounds of just, you know, he's, he's just built for this business, his family legacy that's behind him, his wrestling ability that he already has. And he's learning to be even more of a strong character in this time in Japan. I think the future for him is so amazingly bright, you know, beyond whatever KES is going to be, however long that's going to last and whatnot. Uh, he's one of those guys, and I've told him this personally, I, I think he could truly easily be uh, a world champion, uh, especially in the Japanese market. I, I think if they see what I see, and I hope they do, and I think they do, you know, especially with his age, he's one of those guys that could be one of those guys in champions, and that's a very few and far between set of guys. Yeah, he's awesome. You guys are awesome together. What's it like being the GHC tag champ as well as the NWA tag champ at the same time? You know, it's awesome, man. You know, I mean, I think it just hopefully adds a new respect level for KES. You know, most of our stuff has been done in Japan. We've had a, a handful of times that we've worked in the States, 
for NWA shows. We worked in Canada once together, uh, you know, in, in New York or a couple times for PWS out in New York. Um, but, you know, we worked for uh, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore once together as the team. So being able to be over here and, like I said, working on Ring of Honor TV and being seen as the team, um, it, it's really cool for us because it's kind of something we're trying to accomplish is get people to see what we've already been doing in Japan and the, the respect level and the domination that KES has created in Japan. So being double champions, and this is our second time as double champions, although we didn't hold the IWGPs very long after we won the NWA titles the first time, but we were once the NWA and IWGP champions, then we lost the IWGPs, um, you know, and then we lost the NWAs in a, in a random match. And then, like I said, everything's kind of come full circle. We got the NWA titles back, and then we uh, earned the or won the Global Honor Crown Championships. Yeah, and that's one c- a great adjective to describe your team, the KES, is dominance. But take us back to how your career has evolved so much and, and to the beginning, if we can. And how did you get started in the wrestling business, and were you always a fan? You know, I, I really didn't start being a fan until, I want to say, around 93, 94. You know, I, I didn't have wrestling growing up as a kid uh, on our TV, and it wasn't until WCW Nitro uh, was on TNT that I really got to start watching wrestling. And Sting, you know, had taken on the Crow persona, and I was a fan of that movie. I really latched onto him and his character, and that's when I truly started becoming a fan. And then uh, as I finished high school and on into my college years, it was just something that, you know, had completely captured my attention. And I just loved all aspects of it, both the athleticism that the the wrestlers had, along with the acting and action and everything that was involved in pro wrestling. Just everything just captured my attention in ways that I truly became a mark. That that was the moment I became a mark was when I started watching it on a regular basis for WCW Nitro. I mean, that's that's where my history comes from as far as being a fan and, and wanting to get into the business. It's a great time, obviously, to everybody to look back at, and it's spawned so many careers from who we've talked to so far that that time period is unparalleled compared to maybe uh, just, unfortunately, a few years prior where maybe not too many guys got in the business. But where did you train uh, when you decided to get into wrestling? I was living in Austin, Texas. Uh, I was going to, at the time, it was called uh, Southwest Texas State University. Now it's just called Texas State University. Um, I was working downtown Austin in a nightclub, you know, kind of paying my way through life and college and all that stuff. And uh, the guy who owned the club I worked at actually knew a guy that had started his own federation in Austin, Texas, and it was called the Southwest Wrestling Federation. And uh, he introduced us, and the guy invited me out, and you know, I didn't know anything about the business other than being a fan. So I didn't know how physical actually professional wrestling training could be. Um, and I, I went through one day of tryout type training where they put me through the ringers of just about anything and everything on a basic level. I was hurting so dang bad after that. I almost didn't go back. But when I, when I talked to the guy, I was like, listen, I'm a poor college kid. I don't have a lot of money. And he's like, well, what can you pay? And I gave him a number, and he said, okay, we'll work with that. And so I was like, all right. It was kind of hard to come up with an excuse after he said he'd work with me on what I told him I would pay him, which wasn't very much, you know, on like a monthly basis. And, um, you you know, it kind of started from there. So I started training in Austin. It was about a, I want to say almost an hour-plus drive from my apartment in San Marcos, Texas, to to North Austin where the, the training facility was. And I did that just about every day, every day that I could, every day that I wasn't working. A lot of times I would go train and then go to work in Austin and then go home and then go to school. And, you know, I was trying to balance everything until I graduated. And then, uh, 
you know, I started working the Indies in Texas, and there were a lot of good ones around South Texas. You know, Shawn Michaels actually had his wrestling academy. I applied for it. They called me one day, said I could be a part of one of the classes, and then they told me how much it cost. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, I'm a poor college kid. I can't afford that. <laughs> and they were all like, they were all like, oh, well, you know, if you get the money, give us a call back. And I was like, okay, yeah, I will do that. And that obviously never came about. But I did get to work with uh, the TWA back then, and, uh, there were some companies down in Corpus that I was working with, and then I started traveling to Dallas, Texas, where there was a great company that was running a weekly TV show uh, called PCW, Professional Championship Wrestling, and that's really that really became my independent home. Like I said, because they were they were literally running a weekly show uh, and taping for TV, so the, the the knowledge I was learning from being able to work with live crowds and good crowds and TV cameras and cutting promos and working on a weekly basis, you know, it was just, it was invaluable. And I, I didn't even realize how invaluable it was until it kind of went away from the independent scene because you really don't ever hear about that anywhere on the independent scene. You know, anybody running like a weekly show, especially a weekly TV show. Yeah. That's actually a question that we usually have coming up when guys end up getting, you know, to, to other organizations is how do they adjust to cutting promos and being in front of that crowd where there is a camera and you have time limits and things of that nature. But now, right. one thing about you and your career has been you've always had a very distinct and unique look. Now, when you first get into the business and you're, you know, you're gritting your teeth, was there anybody mm-hmm. who really kind of pinpointed a gimmick on you that maybe didn't suit you to start? <laughs> you know, I've had a, I've had, I'd have to recount it, but I think I've had eight different names in my professional wrestling career. Uh, I started out as Lance Steele, and it was just kind of a, a very generic big guy, you know, uh, test-esque kind of character, I guess you could say, back in the day, because I carried his that same image that he kind of carried when he was in WWE at the time. Um, you know, uh, there was never really a gimmick that anybody really tried to pin on me that just didn't fit me until the Rock and Rave came around. And, you know, the one thing that we got to do with the Rock and Rave ultimately was kind of make it our own. But initially, when they were like, listen, you guys are going to be rock stars, but you only think your rock stars because you play the video game guitar hero. It was just one of those moments where we're like, they're, they're trying to murder our careers. You know, they're just making a joke of us. And then we specifically were like, can we do whatever we want? And they were like, yeah, make it your own, have fun with it. And we're like, okay, absolutely. So, you know, I donned kind of the slash esque gimmick and uh, Jimmy took on kind of more the, the glamor, glamor rock star, eighties glamor rock star. And then obviously we had Christy Hemme who's, you know, hot as sin and just, you know, had fun pretending she couldn't sing when she actually can. And, you know, it was one of those moments, like I said, initially we were just like, this is going to kill us. And then we had fun with it. The people started having fun with it. We were having really good matches with the Motor City Machine Guns and LAX at the time, you know, had a really strong tag division back then. Um, So, you know, it was one of those gimmicks that could have been really bad, but we had a chance to make it on and had fun with it. I was actually going to ask you about the rock and rave. I was going to say, did you enjoy the gimmick? But obviously you guys kind of made it your own and you kind of made it enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we did have fun with it. We did enjoy it. Like I said, because they didn't really put many restrictions on us as far as what we could and couldn't do as the team. You know, I think they were having fun watching us come up with just the most goofy things we could possibly come up with, you know, me pretending to be a drunk rock star who's, you know, wanting a bottle of whiskey and a ham sandwich and Jimmy who couldn't remember what city we were in. And like I said, Christy just (laughs) screeching out lyrics to different things, you know, just having fun with it. And they were having fun with it. We always felt like it absolutely had a lot more legs than they gave it uh, credit for. 
you know, we, we felt like we were, you know, they wanted us to be heels and people understood that we were heels, but they were still kind of liking us. But we always felt like we were that team that if they had put us over in a, in a title situation, we were the perfect team for, you know, some of the stronger, better wrestling teams like Motor City, Motor City Machine Guns and LAX to be chasing us for those titles and us just slipping and diving and getting out of there somehow. And, and then, you know, ultimately in the wrestling business, somebody can – can take over and, and, and put the rock stars down for a three count. Maybe if he just one too many shots or something, who knows? But uh, we, we were having fun with it, man. And going from Jimmy Rave, who was a tag team partner, to another tag team partner you had before that was Kid Cash. Did yep. you learn a lot from uh, Mr. Cash? I did, man. He, he, he took me under his wing, and, you know, Cash is one of those cats. <laughs> Either people love him or they hate him. Um, there's not a lot of in-between uh, he, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but he and I always got along. I think he realized, you know, I came in there with a very good attitude and an open mind, and I wanted to learn, and I wanted to be successful, you know, because so, he, he was just kind of throwing me to him. You know, they were just like, hey, by the way, this is your new tag partner. And he's like, okay, didn't know anything about me or anything that was going on. And uh, they gave us a little bit of an opportunity in the beginning. And like I said, I was just like, hey, man, help me. Help me to be better. Help me to fit in here. Help me to do bigger, better things, you know, because I'd just been working the independent scene until I started working uh, for TNA back in 2004. Um, so I think he understood that, saw that, and he respected that as well. And so he was very helpful with me and helping me be the big guy of the team, you know, and, and, and protecting me at times when I would have just been like, yeah, do whatever you want. And he'd be like, no, they're not going to do that to you, you know, type thing. And so, yeah, between he and I, we got along very well. And, you know, he helped me out a lot. And, you know, I, I think he's kind of, as of right now, he says he's choosing to end his career soon. He's kind of on his retirement tour and things like that. And for me, it would be fun to at least work at one last match with him or possibly against him, but, you know, at least get to share the ring with him one more time. Yeah, Cash is great. An interesting thing, though, your name was Dallas, and then you became, you know, Lance Hoyt. Was there a reason mm-hmm. as to why the name was changed? <laughs> Duffy Rose changed that name. Duffy Rose came up with that. <laughs> uh, the, the, the name changed, and it, the, that one came about just kind of out of nowhere as well, man. I, I was Dallas, um, you know. Page Dallas DDP was at the company at the time. I don't know if he specifically had anything to do with it. I don't know if he ever said anything like, "Hey, you know, there can't be two Dallases here." And I don't think he did. You know, he and I actually are, are decent friends now. And anytime I see him, we hang out, we talk, and he's always been a really cool, positive cat. Um, so I, I think it was more of a company call. Like they were like, well, we've got Dallas Page. We can't have Dallas here either. And so I'd been off TV for a while. And I remember I actually flew myself to Orlando to go, hey, what's going on? Because nobody was answering my phone calls. Um, and uh, there was a contract discrepancy between Abyss and the company at the moment. Um, uh, he and Cash were supposed to wrestle one night. And he ended up leaving that evening. And they were like, well, since you're here, you're going to work. And I was like, that's awesome. Uh, and that was the last time I was Dallas, but then they were like, we're going to bring you back. You're going to be, you know, just going to use your real name, Lance Hoyt. And I went to Dusty one time. And I was like, listen, and I was like, I, I know the name is com- change is coming, and it's something that you guys want to happen, and it's necessary. I wasn't too thrilled about being Lance Hoyt in the wrestling business because that's my real name. Um, and I said, Dusty, I was like, listen, you know, if we're going to do the name change, can I cut a promo either live or backstage or something, just kind of going, you know what, Dallas was not me. It wasn't. A, it was a gimmick, and that's not who I am. I'm Lance Hoyt, and this is who I'm going to be. Blah blah blah, something to that effect. And he goes, "Yeah, baby, that's that would be good, you know, if if people understood. But we're just going to do it 
subtly, baby. We're just gonna do it subtly. He's like that. that he's like that would be that would be a really good situation if you were selling out twenty thousand seat arena, but you're not. So we're just gonna do it subtly, baby. And I said, I, I said, oh, okay, I'm gonna be on TV then, right? And he goes, yeah, baby. And I said, okay, whatever. But it, <laughs> I, I was I wasn't selling out twenty thousand seat arenas. We were just gonna do it subtly, baby. <laughs> That's a great story. What was your overall experience uh, in CNA? Did you enjoy your time there? Or you feel like it was just a good learning process for you? Um, you know, for me initially, it was one of those situations where it was I was a part of a company that was growing. I was getting to be a part of all the firsts, really, for the company. I mean, the company was very young when I joined them in 2004. They were still only doing the weekly pay-per-views out of uh, Nashville at the old asylum. Um, <clears throat> but I was there when we... When we first got the Impact Zone, and the, the first I was on the very first Impact that was on the Fox Sports Network program, and then I was there when uh, we were in between Fox and uh, uh, Spike TV, and then I was there when we started doing our first, you know, three-hour monthly pay-per-views. I was there for the first Lockdown. I was there for the first Bound for Glory. I was a, I was a part of all these firsts, which was a lot of fun because it was a company that was growing and. You know, there were good times and bad times, but the company was looking for young talent, and they were working with that young talent. And, you know, the Hoytomania days were pretty fun. You know, I'd hoped that that would have gone further, but it did not. It's You know, it is what it is in the business sometimes. Um, so for me, it was great. It was a great, obviously a great learning experience, getting to work with some of the best in the business, having guys like Terry Taylor who were always willing to help me, you know, and he, he became a friend of mine. Um you know, so for me, absolutely a learning experience. You know, I think they're all learning experiences. Uh, but for me, especially in the, the early days of my time at TNA, it, it was a, a real big opportunity for somebody who was trying to make a name for themselves in the business. And there were no other opportunities other than WWE and TNA, which was, like I said, a young company and growing. So I really enjoyed it, even up to the end when it, when it, when it ended out in uh, 2009, uh, the conversation I had on the way, my way out was a good one. I, I worked one last match and I had the opportunity to actually see a lot of people that I didn't know if I was ever going to see again, which doesn't happen a lot in this business. So I, I see all my time there as a good one. Hoytomania was so over at one point that those shows, <laughs> those, the, until you got out there, man, did they take over the show in those front couple of rows at the Impact Zone. Such, something that stands out in those early days of TNA it was definitely uh, a big sign of respect from the fans that they, they indeed loved you. But how, what was your take on Hoytomania, seeing those guys every week? Hey, it was awesome, man. It was a lot of fun for me for the simple fact, like you said, you know, when I came out, the reception was amazing. And, and uh, according to some people, I was taking people out to eat, and that's why I had all these fans. And I was like, listen, I, I, I worked for TNA, a young company. They're not paying me well enough to take, you know, 40, 50 people out to eat. I'm not making T-shirts, you know. There was a group of people that made their own T-shirts. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun, you know. It, it's funny how, to me, the Internet wasn't as well-received of me as the Impact Zone itself was. But at the same time, you know, for me, as somebody who's, again, just an, an unnamed talent that had only been working for TNA and to see the fan reception that was going on there was beyond amazing. I think they, I'd like to believe they saw the passion that I had and the desire to, to get better, be better, improve, and things like that. And like I said, I always wished that would have gone further, but unfortunately it did not. It seemed to be a lot of my TNA career, a lot of good starts with a lot of good things that just unfortunately, in my opinion, weren't given the full opportunities that they should have had. 
I completely agree. You were definitely a standout during that era of TNA. And if we can transition uh, briefly over to your time in the WWE and uh, Mm -hmm. moving over into the Vance Archer uh, character, what was your take in Mm -hmm. uh, joining WWE in 2009? Nothing but excited, man. You know, I mean, I I think especially at that time, you know, and even now today, you know, it's still, it is the biggest company in the world. I think anybody that's in this wrestling business wants to be a top success in the biggest company in this world, and that's what WWE is. If you've got any notions that it's any different, then I think you're fooling yourself. Now, there are a lot of new avenues that are amazing. New Japan, Ring of Honor, uh, TNA is still there, and I hope people give it more of a chance, and it still can become something special in the business. You know, the possibilities of GFW, but um, to be a part of WWE was a dream come true, you know, Um so for me, it was very exciting, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, the whole Vance Archer thing came around kind of out of, you know, they want to own the rights to that name, and the Vance Archer thing came around. And Vance was a play on my own name, and Archer was my dad's name. Um, and that's how I got the Archer thing, even though the Internet tried to exclaim that I was going to be doing a Robin Hood gimmick, which I thought was extremely comical. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, you know, but it, it, for me, it was, again, a new challenge, a new opportunity, a lot of amazing, obviously, the, the 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 Hall of Famers of this business, both the ones that are in the Hall of Fame now and the ones that absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame at some point or, or just absolutely recognized as legends in this business were there, and they were helping you. And if you showed the desire, they were willing to help you. And there are a lot of people, so it was a very, very, very open-ended competition with a lot of guys and girls who were busting their butts trying to gain a spot, you know, and when I was a part of their developmental system in in Tampa with FCW, you know, there was, I think there was maybe, you know, 50 or 60 total. And now I think they've got what, 70, 80, 90 people total at the the new facility in in Orlando, something to that degree. Um, So I'm sure that competition has just grown and obviously their exposure has grown immensely as well. Um, You know, and for me, when I first got brought to television on the ECW product, you know, even though some people look down at uh, WWE's version of ECW for guys like myself, um, it was the perfect opportunity in the sense that it was our own show. We didn't have to compete with the the raw main eventers, the SmackDown main eventers and things like that. So uh, it was a weekly opportunity to kind of get into the WWE universe, to be seen by the WWE universe, to be known and understood by the WWE universe and given an opportunity to advance into that company in ways that you know may not exist if you just showed up on raw or smackdown at the time i mean if you think about it, a lot of the top names that exist there even today some that are still there some that have left from your cm punks to your Seamuses to your kofi kingston's guys like that you know um all started on their ecw product and then moved into the raw and smackdown and have become what they've become so uh nxt has kind of taken over that role now but back then ecw was kind of that spot for guys. And like I said, instead of having to compete on Raw or SmackDown, you had your own product to, to run your own storylines and to do your own thing. Uh, so for me, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, I, I learned a lot. Um, I, I think I wasn't prepared because I didn't know who I should have been at the time. Um, I had the tools, I had the ability, but I didn't know what I should be. And like, I, I had a completely different image about five minutes before the doors opened the night I debuted. I had hair that was down to the middle of my back. I had a goatee that was braided about four or five inches down, you know, big leather jacket and all this stuff. And they decided to completely change all that. And like I said, that happened like five minutes before doors open. Uh, Johnny Ace and Vince McMahon were standing there and I was standing in the ring and nobody else was in there. And all of a sudden Johnny's like, dude, come here. I was like, what's up, Johnny? He's like, we're cutting your hair. And again, I was like, all right, I'm on TV tonight, right? And he goes, yep. 
I was like, all right, cut it off. I don't care. I, I didn't care because I just wanted to have that opportunity. But I think thinking back now, I think it's one of those things you don't understand and know, but I think it messed with me a little bit mentally and psychology wise, psychologically wise, excuse me. Um, you know, because I kind of have a, a thought and an image of who I wanted to be and who I should have been. And then it was kind of taken away. And so I was like, okay, crap, what am I supposed to be? And I never fully captured that. And with the ECW product shutting down four months after I started on it, I think that hurt that process as well. Yeah, there was definitely a, a, a time where it was uh, questionable how fast they were bringing some guys on to ECW TV and then uh, the product switching over to the NXT brand. But just to go mm-hmm. back to FCW, if, if we can, just to, mm-hmm. to think about some of the names that were in developmental at that point when you were also mm-hmm. developmental. And, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you had Seth Rollins when he came into the company and, you know, Bray Wyatt and all these was, guys that are headlining there now. Did you I, see I was, the crop was, of talent? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fun fact, uh, I was Seth Rollins' first WWE match in, in, any, in any capacity. He beat me wow, down okay. at FCW. Awesome. So I guess I guess it's okay now that he's the, the heavyweight champion. But you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Bray, man, talking about amazing kid. Um, I, I watched when he was doing the different names and you know carried his his father's name and whatnot when they were down in FCW. I watched when they put him on the NXT product with the the, the next name, and um, uh, he always did amazing things. He always worked extremely hard. He always busted his butt. Him and his brother Bo, man, they they cut some amazing promos down in FCW. If they got any of that archived, I hope at some point when they make some kind of DVD, they throw some of that on there because they did some. You know, we we had our our weekly uh, uh, promo day, and everybody went up there and cut promos. And you had all these very, you know, so, you know, you get a minute, and we're only showing facials, and it was very regimented. And, it was kind of overwhelming, and everybody's trying to come up and say something that was intriguing. And after, you know, an hour and a half or two hours of that, people just didn't care anymore. And those two kids, whether they were working together on a promo or they were doing it individually, they were two of the kids that when they came up for promos and promo class, everybody stopped and paid attention because they just wanted to hear what they were going to say and, and what kind of silly, crazy, cool thing they were going to do. So to see, like, him and the success he's having now, I'm very proud of him just because he is a friend and he's one of those guys that had to persevere through a lot of different things and, you know, people thinking he wasn't going to be something because he wasn't very prototypical on the physical side and things like that. And to see him doing so well, man, I'm I'm extremely proud of him. But, you know, I was there, uh, obviously, when Seamus had just started to get out there and, and was just doing the live events and, uh, you know, obviously, you, you Bray Wyatt, and, and just you can name pretty much everybody that's on the roster at some in some degree. I, I work with Reigns when he was just starting out, when he just had started hitting the ring, and we worked a couple matches down there. And, you know, to see those guys' progressions and to know them and, and pretty much everybody that you're mentioning now were always really cool. I, I never really had a problem with anybody. and I, So I'm proud of them and what they're accomplishing because of the good people they were when I knew them. And moving on from WWE, I have to get back into New Japan Pro Wrestling. Absolutely. Probably. Probably the hottest wrestling league going today. I got yeah. to post, uh, your debut in 2011 with them. What was it like, you know, first getting to Japan and, and wrestling with them over there? Well, you know, getting to work with New Japan, uh, I, I didn't know the scale of what it was or what it was going to become. 
Um, I'd, I'd worked in Japan back in 2007, 8, and 9. Even I worked at a tour with All Japan before I signed on with WWE. So I'd worked in Japan before a few times, but it was all on a smaller scale basis. You know, All Japan was good and it was big, but it wasn't anywhere it, what New Japan is and is becoming. Um, so when I was first trying to get back into Japan, I was set to go back to All Japan. But then there was a discrepancy on what they were going to pay and what they wanted to pay and all that stuff. So that kind of fell through. So I got in contact with New Japan and actually had some people from the WWE office that actually helped me in getting contact with some people and, and putting a good word in for me and helping me along that process. And so they decided they were going to give me a tryout match, their, my first match. And uh, then they did their East Coast tour back in 2011, did a couple shows in New York and a show in Philadelphia. And so they were like, hey, we want you to come to Philadelphia. And that was kind of my debut was in Philadelphia where I attacked Kojima and was helping set up the match that I was going to be having in, in June of 2011, uh, tag teaming with uh, Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki. Um and, you know, for me, it was just it was kind of surreal because I didn't know what to expect. I was excited and I was ready to go in there and bust my butt and try to recreate myself. And they kind of wanted a Stan Hansen-esque type character. They asked me to don like the cowboy hat and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not a cowboy. I never have been, even though I've grown up my whole life in Texas. So I was like, okay, can I be the cowboy I want to be, more kind of rock star cowboy? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, you know, I did the leather jacket and I studded out a black, cowboy hat and had it all folded up and looking crazy rock stars and whatnot and they they liked it and i came in and had my first tag match in osaka japan which has really become one of my favorite places to go in japan was osaka um and and the crowd was extremely receptive i mean minoru suzuki is just extremely well respected and over in, in japan and getting to work with kojima who's just a legend and not even knowing uh togi makabe but now knowing how big of a thing he's going to he he has been he is and he will be I mean, fun fact, he's going to be the voice of Mad Max, the new Mad Max movie that's coming out when they dub it over for Japanese in Japan, which I think that's extremely cool. Um, you know, and to be out there and, and to be able to be successful and then for them uh, to basically be, okay, cool, you're not going home tomorrow. You're going to stay for another week and a half. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just seeing what they were doing and what they saw in me. And, you know, it was never a case of uh, – where in the past I'd had people say, well, we need less of this and we need less of that. This was all, we need more of that. We need more monster. We need more domination. We need more, you know, just big, bad, kill them all type character. And I was like, okay. And I, every time I went out there, I tried to bring more and they'd go, that's great, but more. And I was like, okay. And I kept bringing more. And I think the one thing that Japan has done for me the best in my career is giving me the confidence that I should have always had in helping me find out who I should be. So being able to debut in, in Japan in 2011 was an amazing thing. And then obviously the, the career I've been allowed to have working over there, I, I'd like to be uh, well-remembered for that, to say the least. You've had some G1 Climax success. You've had a lot of tag league tournament success. Mm -hmm. What's it like um, being in an actual faction, Suzuki Gun, and teaming with Mineral Suzuki, such a legend in Japan? Yeah, you know... The, here's another fun fact about my time in Japan. He, uh, he, I wrestled against him in my very first match back in like 2007 on a little small independent show. I had no clue who he was, you know, cause I didn't understand or know the history of Japanese wrestling and, and things of that nature. And I, I remember he was doing something to my tag partner at the time. And I came in, I kicked him and he just kind of looked at me 
very evilly and like just like get out of the ring almost. And I had no understanding of, you know, who he was and his character and his background and all that stuff. And I was like, this son of a, you know, he's just not going to sell for me. And I'm three times his size. And, and then <laughs> the fast, fast forward to 2011. And I, I worked with him on an, an All Japan tour back in 2009. We, I don't think we ever had any matches, but we were on the same tour. And so we kind of crossed paths a bunch of times. And now I'm tag teaming with him and I'm a part of his group and, you know, have been since basically day one being a part of New Japan. And then, uh, we won the 2011 World Tag League uh, together, and then just you know what he's been able to do for my career in Japan, especially it's been it's been an amazing thing. Now fast forwarding to what we're doing in Noah, you know, with Suzuki Goon basically taking complete control of Noah. And coming up, you're going to be teaming up with Davy Boy again, and you're going to be in the Noah Tag League, correct? Yep, the Global Tag League starts on the 19th, but we leave Thursday, and we have a show on the 11th and another show on the 17th. And then the tag league itself starts on the 19th and goes from uh, April 19th until May 4th, I believe. Now, two of the most underrated guys that I've seen that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with is in TMDK. It's uh, oh, yeah. and Nichols. What's it like working with those guys? I feel like they're very underrated. Oh yeah. Shane Haste and uh, Mikey Nichols, man, just young, extremely athletic, you know, and, good looking dudes and just they're just they set themselves apart in so many cool ways. You know, it's one of those tag teams that truly I, I don't know, you know, other than the fact that they've been loyal to Noah and Noah's kept them under contract for a long time now, how they haven't been discovered and put on a, a bigger major product here in the States because they are phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's funny, I think they were in Ring of Honor only once. It was weird. I was gonna say I wonder how they didn't catch on. I maybe Noah's you know has a stranglehold over them or something, but it's a very underrated tag team. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were under contract with Noah at the time, and obviously they're foreign guys. They're from Australia. Um, so I know, you know, that's always a tricky thing, getting guys in and work visas and all that stuff. And, you know, it, to me, like I said, it's one of those things, like if they weren't under contract with Noah, like I, I think they would be on be perfect for WWE again because their age, their look, their ability, all the things they have going for them. They're kind of an international flavor with the Australian thing going for them, um, you know. But they're doing really extremely well in, uh, in Noah until KES came along and destroyed them. But that's a different story. <laughs> now, you and David Boy also, as we touched on for IWGP Tag Team Champs. What was it like? Right. Was it a big honor to be able to be Tag Team Champion of uh, IWGP? <laughs> Absolutely, man. You know, I mean, uh, when they put Harry and I together, or, or Davey Boy Smith Jr., um, you know, I've been with the company for about a year at that point, a little over a year. Um, they kept me strong and, and doing some cool things with me, but, you know, there was never really any direction other than I was Suzuki's monster. Um, you know, and they told me that they were bringing him in and they were going to put us together, and I said, that's awesome. You know, I knew him from WWE, but I didn't know him well. Um, so when they decided to put us together, and, you know, they put us together, and very quickly, I think, you know, we had our first match as a team, in September of 2012, and then we won the tag titles in October of 2012. So it was a very quick rise to dominance in that sense. Um, again, you know, we, we got together and we we coined the name Killer Elite Squad. And like I said, every time we pretty much ever stepped in the ring, it's like, how can we work together? How can we be a big, bad, dominant team? How can we be intriguing and interesting, you know? I think the wrestling business today is extremely dominated by the extremely athletic and gifted, but smaller cruiserweight style wrestlers that do some amazingly talented things. 
and us being, you know, him 6'5", me 6'7", you know, both of us 250, 260 plus pounds, easy, you know, being big, large men and them wanting us to be big, bad monsters, you know, we're not going to be out going out there and doing a lot of cool, crazy maneuvers. So we had to find our niche as a strong, big, foreign, American, Canadian Gaijin tag team. And I think I'd like to believe that KS has really done that, you know, and uh, the things that we've been able to do as far as tag team moves together, combination moves together, and then taking his natural fighting ability because he trains a lot in the MMA world. And then, you know, me, unexpectedly athletic, I'd like to believe in some of the stuff that I can do. And and sometimes, you know, when I throw out the moonsaults and different things like that, people are like, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, Being able to be kind of that different realm of big man tag teams has been a lot of fun. So so being able to be the IWGP tag team champions, especially so quick, um, holding for as long as we did have some amazing matches, especially all of the matches that we had with Tengoji, you know, and, and being able to keep those fresh, even after five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times on pay-per-views and major events. Um, we're very proud of that, you know. So being able to be the IWGP champions twice and being able to defend them successfully in the Tokyo Dome once and, you know, dropping them, you know, losing to the now Bullet Club team of Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson uh, at the second uh, uh, Wrestle Kingdom that we got to be a part of, you know, and the things that we've just gotten to do as a tag team. It's just been a lot of fun, amazing. And, you know, hopefully the future is even brighter with what we're doing with Noah and, and what we just started doing with Ring of Honor. Hopefully there's more of that in the American uh, side of the world gets to see what we've really created. And there's no doubt you guys are one of the best tag teams in the world today. But I just want to okay. talk about some one-on-one matches that you had last mm-hmm. year in the G1 Climax that really mm-hmm. stood out and were just just great matches that go along with a great tournament. The match mm-hmm. with AJ Styles was unbelievable. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. What was it like working with AJ and in that match in particular? Well, you know, and AJ and I had a few matches, both tag matches, and we had a a singles match way back in the TNA days when, you know, when I first started there. And, um, you know, I've always said AJ is so freaking good. He's truly phenomenal. He's one of those guys that if anybody ever has a bad match with him, they are really doing something wrong because he's so Hmm. good. Um, But we just, we we both, uh, we knew each other well. We meshed well. We had great ideas together. Um, you know, the, the battle that we produced for the people, true big man versus smaller guy with his athleticism and my power and the combinations of all that that went together. And, you know, I actually pretty much worked that whole tour with more or less a broken ankle. I um, My first night on the G1, uh, Naito and I had a match, and he does a cool, cool combination where he, he kind of drop kicks the guy in the corner, sweeps their leg out from underneath him, and then does an outside-inside drop kick again. And uh, he, he ended up, and it was really no fault by him, but he just landed straight on my left ankle. And, like, the next day we had off, thank goodness, and it swelled up probably about three, four times its natural size. And I just was elevating and icing. And, and then the next night that I worked, you know, I, I had a match against Carl Anderson, and I just had him tape it as tight as they could and laced up my boot as tight as they could and worked pretty much the rest of that tour with. I, I never had it actually checked, so I don't truly know, but I'm pretty sure there was some kind of small fracture in <laughs> there. So to be able to go out there and, and still be able to work guys and have strong matches and then be able to work with AJ in Osaka, one of my, again, one of my favorite places to ever work and to have the match that we were able to have, you know, it's just beyond cool memories, amazing, amazing learning experiences, 
just honored beyond honored to be a part of that and to be able to produce matches that, again, I've never really been extremely well received by the the internet world for even the internet world not to be able to go, well, that sucked. For them to go, well, that was, okay, we liked it. You know, it was kind of fun <laughs> for me for them to have to kind of admit, okay, it was a good match. Oh, and they had a hell of a match. And then another great match was against uh, Kazuchika Okada, the ringmate. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on working he, with him? I, you know, it's amazing what he's been able to do in such a short period of time. And, it, you know, it's you think about the history of where he was at and the fact that TNA had him right then and there. And, you know, maybe he was younger, maybe he was greener, maybe he was a little more unsure of himself, I don't know. But the fact that he has become what he's become, and he did it so quickly, um, you know, for TNA to have had him right there and what they could have done with that is is kind of mind-boggling. Um, and then to see him come in and still be an extremely humble kid and, and work his butt off, and, you know, obviously he's got the best man in the in the company to be behind him, and that's Gato, um, has helped that process along and helped him in, in his confidence and just him becoming – the man and the future of that company has been an amazing thing. And he and I had had several matches before, like the New Japan Cup, and we've worked in the G1 before. And they'd all been really good matches, but that was, it was probably the peak of our matches together. And we've had, always had real good chemistry. And, you know, the, the great thing about, for me, working in Japan is that, you know, everybody wants me to be that monster and they play off of it. Whereas I think sometimes, unfortunately, if I'm working in the States, guys are like, Oh, big guy. Now I can just do stuff that I'm not supposed to do with this guy just to kind of get myself over. And in Japan, especially new Japan, they never really try that. And it's a really cool experience because I get to be me and I get to be the big guy and then they get to be the, the wrestler they are. And we combine that and it just produces some amazingly cool events. And I think you see that in all the matches. I mean, the, the Tokyo dome, uh, matches like Ibushi and Nakamura and uh, Okada and Tanahashi and just, you know, uh, Ishii and what he's become. If you're watching New Japan at all and you don't know any of these names, you absolutely research them and, and find out who I'm talking about because these people are amazing. Um, so, yeah, getting to work with Okada and have the match we did. And, you know, even though, unfortunately, I, I come up short in both those matches, I seem to have some better matches when I'm losing, I guess. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it was it was awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. I can't say enough good things about that. And you've had obviously so many great matches in your career, and you obviously hopefully continue to have some more. Do you have a favorite yeah, match, or maybe <laughs> yeah, your favorite match or, or matches that you've had? Oh man, people ask that all the time, and you know, it's I've been beyond blessed, man. You know, I'm kind of a, a true journeyman in this business, and being able to work with the companies I've worked with and experience some of the things I've gotten experience, and you know, single matches. I, you know, you just mentioned two of my favorites ever in my career. Um, I, I always go back to one match I had with Abyss back in 2005. It was a sacrifice pay per views 2005, and it was just one of those moments where. Again, you know, Abyss being the big monster he was, and I was kind of in my Hordomania days, and it was strong, and it was fun, and the people were into it, and we were both big guys that didn't have, we didn't work like slow, lumbering big guys, and we had a match that I, I don't think people expected, and I have that one moment where I actually hit the springboard Van Terminator, which, again, something I don't think people, uh, I don't think I could do today, but at that time, I absolutely didn't expect, and, you know, when we were able to do it, and I remember I'd put him down and I'd set him up and I put the chair in front of his face and I walked completely to the other side of the ring. And when I stepped outside those ropes, I think the people were like, "Uh Oh, 
something crazy is about to happen. And, you know, whether they thought something really bad in the bad sense, like they were going to get the chance, the UF'd up chance or not, I don't know. But everybody stood up. And I remember stopping for that moment, which maybe could have been a bad choice. But I saw and I watched everybody stand up. And then, you know, to nail it and people just going bonkers and chanting TNA and this is wrestling and all kinds of crazy stuff at that moment, you know, it was just that was definitely one of my peak moments. But I've also had the opportunity to to lace up my boots and walk down the ramp at WrestleMania 26 in Arizona. Uh, Again, being a part of all the first that were in TNA to my first Wrestle Kingdom and defending the the IWGB tag titles with Davey Boy Smith as a killer squad and getting to ride motorcycles into the building. And, you know, just uh, I've had some amazing, cool experiences, man. Uh, You know, I'm so blessed about and so happy about. And, you know, if, if the next... If if I get another five or ten years, I hope I get to have some more experiences like that because I, it's been amazing. I know this might be hard to pinpoint, but do you mm-hmm. have a favorite opponent? A favorite opponent? Oh my goodness! Ah, I, no, I, I can't say that there's just one guy that I've had a great time. That, or I've had a great time with a lot of guys, but there's not just one guy that I go, man, every time I step in the ring. I I, I will go back to say that the feud that Davy Boy and I've had with. Uh, with Tin Koji, Tenzan, and Kojima, um, you know, it was one of those things where we just kept having matches with them, and to the point where people were like, "Uh oh, it's KS versus Tin Koji again." But every time we were able to step out there, and we started working so well with each other, and the ideas that everybody came up with to keep it fresh, even though it was the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time that people have seen that singles tag match, not to mention all the multi-person matches we'd had with them and against them. I think those are proud moments, and I'm, I could say them as a team against us as a team has been extremely proud by me and us, I think, just to be able to go out there and produce really solid, strong, high-quality matches every time we've worked with them. So I guess if you want to ask, they're probably two of my top. Do you have a dream match against anybody that you haven't wrestled in your career? <laughs> I would. I always go back to Sting, man. He, he's the reason I kind of got in the business and – you know, I, I tried to get it worked out in TNA when we were both there, and unfortunately it never happened. And, you know, it would, be, it would, for me, again, because he was the reason I started watching, he was the reason I wanted to get into the business. I, You know, I've kind of always fastened my ideas and gimmicks kind of around what he was and things like that. Um, he would be absolutely that, that guy that I would love that opportunity to work with, you know. And, and, and I, I doubt it will, obviously I doubt it will happen, but, you know, it, that is my dream match. And to speak in uh, other terms, how about any additional goals that you have left in the wrestling business? Uh, you know, I, I my goals are, are on a continuous basis. I, I think I, I, unfortunately, I think I'm always working to earn respect. I think anybody that I've worked with, I would like to believe respect me now. But I think the fans, you know, getting to work with Ring of Honor and hopefully the American fans will get to see KS and see the progression that myself and even David Boy have made. Um, my goals are to continue on that process of, of gaining that respect and changing people's minds and perceptions of who I was and to who I am now and understanding what I can actually be in this business. So I would love for, especially us as a team, to go on and to capture like the Ring of Honor titles and get back and capture the IWGPs again and, you know, to just be recognized and respected and understood as the hard worker that I've been in the, you know, nearly 15 years that I've been blessed to be a part of this business and for people to go, okay, 
we didn't understand and respect what he did in the beginning, but now we absolutely do. Well, if they don't know, now they know, and we... Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit collectorsworldva.com and pricing starts at only $25. That's WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015 from 11.30 to 12.30 at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit collectorsworldva.com for more information, because it's going to be absolutely wonderful. Saturday, December 12th, Sports Possessions at the Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio, brings to you former WWE superstar Kevin Thorne, also known as Mordecai. Come meet the Pale Rider and become a member of the Bike Club just in time for the holidays. That's Saturday, December 12th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, comes to Sports Possessions at the brand new Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio. Visit sportspossessions.com for more information or call 513-759-2600. Kevin Thorne is back, and it's time for you to join the Bike Club.